Welcome to the Village Church Podcast. Thanks for stopping by and taking the time to listen. We've prayed that this podcast channel blesses and encourages the Village family. So lean in with an open heart, eager to grow, and enjoy the episode. I am preaching from one verse of Scripture this morning. So uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. I might already have finished the verse by the time you get there, but it will be uh, on the screen behind me. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. So last Sunday, we kicked off a series on spiritual disciplines. And if you were here, then um, you would have heard my dad speak into that first one. But let me just define, or here's my definition, or maybe it's a combination of people I've read. I can't even remember too many people that I've read. But biblical practices that promote spiritual formation and growth in God's people. Spiritual disciplines are biblical practices that promote spiritual formation and growth in God's people. And can we please be clear as we head through the series that spiritual disciplines are not attitudes. They're activities. They're practices that we do. They are things that we do. For example, we confess and repent sin. Repent of sin. We read and study God's word. We fast and pray like we did on the 10th of this month. But the aim, the aim of practicing these things is not just about doing it. It's not just about doing these activities. In fact, it's so much more than that. It's about being with and becoming like Jesus. And the purpose of these spiritual disciplines as we go through them for the next six or seven weeks is that we would be with and become like Jesus. It's the purpose of these things is godliness. So 1 Timothy 4, 7, I think Paul urges Timothy and he says, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. That's at least in the NASB. But can I just, before I get into Philippians 4, 4, can I also be clear? We are not godly just because we practice the disciplines. That was the error of the Pharisees who thought they were godly for doing seemingly spiritual things. I'm not godly just because I do these things, but when I do practice these disciplines, I grow in godliness. Do we see the distinction there? The disciplines, the spiritual disciplines are a means, not an end. I'm not godly for doing them, but when I do them with the right heart motivation and and I allow the Spirit of God and, and Christ to form His likeness in me, I do grow in godliness. But I'm not godly just because I do them. And so, as mentioned earlier, last week, Mark, or my dad, uh, preached on the spiritual discipline of confession and repentance. And today, we're looking at the discipline of celebration. Celebration. Who's surprised that celebration is a legit spiritual discipline? (laughs) If you're like me, you would be surprised. I was a bit surprised before I looked at the the study and this topic. But could I ask you to close your eyes? Don't worry, it's not going to be anything weird. Well, that's relative, I guess. It might be weird for you, but... Close your eyes and think back to the thing in your life that made you celebrate the most? 
think back and remind yourself of the thing in your mind that made you celebrate the most. Can I say, God was with you in that moment. Unless it was like, well, he was with you regardless because he's everywhere, but hopefully it wasn't some crazy sin. (laughs) Just putting it out there. (laughs) He's still with you. (laughs) But given that it's a good thing, God was with you and he delighted in the fact that you were celebrating. In fact, I believe he was celebrating with you. Again, disclaimer, as long as it was something God could celebrate. (laughs) Didn't think that one through before I... You know, for me, it was my wedding day when I saw my beautiful wife walk down the aisle. Biggest day. I've never celebrated like it. It was incredible. Um, And also last year when the Springboks beat the All Blacks (laughs) in the Rugby World Cup final. I mean, it's, if it's still too soon, you need deliverance, but uh, you can see I'm celebrating. I'm excited. If I'm honest, I'm not a big celebration guy. I don't know if there's others in the room like me. I don't remember. I think the last time I had a birthday party was when I was in primary school. Um, I'm the guy that didn't celebrate his 21st birthday. I, I didn't want to do anything. Um, confess, I'm still... Asking Alana why we spend money on Malachi's first birthday party when he doesn't remember it. <laughs> That's me. I'm that guy. But a, more of a confession, as I've studied this topic and as I've looked at the scriptures and I've seen God's heart revealed through his word, I've become convicted. God is a God of celebration and he is a God who desires his people to celebrate. And when we celebrate, it is vital for our health as a Christian. And so hopefully this morning, we're all convicted a little bit. Just real quick, the the celebration I'm referring to is a godly celebration. And it's a celebration that dwells on the greatness of God as shown in his goodness to us. That's the celebration I'm talking about. It's when we dwell on the greatness of God as shown in his goodness to us towards us and just a reminder it's not an attitude of celebration but it's actively celebrating and so so this is a long introduction I'm so sorry but last thing on a scale of one to ten one being the worst ten being the best what number would you rate yourself when it comes to celebrating God's work in, in your life When it comes to celebrating the goodness of God in life's moments, how would you rate yourself from 1 to 10? And if you're taking notes or if you've got a phone, I'd encourage you to write that number down because later on we're going to look at it again. But just reflect on that. How would you rate how you celebrate God's goodness in life's moments on a scale of 1 to 10? Write that number down and we'll look back at it shortly. So if you are taking notes, the title of this message is Celebrate, We're Christians. With an exclamation mark. And so, Father, as your people, as we're here together, I I ask and I invite you, Holy Spirit, to move among us and to reveal truth to us and to convict our hearts and to help us make change. In Jesus' name, we all said, amen, amen. Cool, so hopefully you've written that number down. While, While Paul was in prison, now think sewer dungeon prison, not 
nice, tidy jail cell prison. He was writing a letter to the Philippian church, and he urges them to rejoice in the Lord always. And then he says, again, I'll say rejoice. That Greek word for rejoice is kairo. And at its simplest level, it means to rejoice and be glad. But when you look at its more full, the fuller description of the word, it means to show great delight. Well, it actually doesn't mean that. It means to show great joy and delight with great happiness and triumph. Kairo. Many scholars think in one word, celebrate. Eugene Peterson in his message paraphrase, he puts it like this. Celebrate God all day, every day. I mean, revel in him. To revel is to enjoy in a lively and noisy way, especially with food and drink. In one word, celebrate. And so according to God's word, the Christian, you and I, as long as our faith is in Jesus, and if it isn't, today could be your day, But a Christian is to celebrate at all times, in every season, no matter the season. We're to celebrate and we're to keep celebrating and we're to grow in our celebration. And as the psalmist in Psalm 118 verse 24 says, This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. One of the early church fathers, St. Augustine, he said this, The Christian should be an alleluia from head to foot. The Christian should be an alleluia from head to foot. Alleluia, I googled it, is an expression of rejoicing. And so let us rejoice and celebrate and revel in the Lord. Can you, can you say that you're an alleluia from head to foot? Chances are not to the degree that God desires. And so this is why the Christian is to train and discipline and cultivate the spiritual discipline of celebration. So that we can say we will rejoice in the Lord always and we will be an alleluia from head to foot. So point number one this morning is this. Celebrate in response to what God does. Celebrate in response to what God does. Do you remember the story of the Israelites being slaves in Egypt? The Prince of Egypt. It's a great movie. No doubt if you're like me, your mind goes straight there. But after Pharaoh finally released the Israelites from slavery, eventually he releases them. They're on their way to the promised land. And then Pharaoh has a change in his mind and a change in his heart. And he takes 600 chariots in his army and he then chases down the Israelites. And so the Israelites are stuck in a, between a rock and a hard place, so to speak. They literally got the Red Sea in front of them and an Egyptian army with Pharaoh chasing them from behind. And the story goes that Moses stretches out his arm and as he does that, God splits the Red Sea in two. He splits the Red Sea. The Israelites walk through, the whole nation, two million plus people walk through the Red Sea on dry ground. As they get through, well, while they're going through, the Egyptian army chases them. Their chariots get bogged down. The soldiers start chasing. And as soon as the entire nation of Israel, the Israelites are through the Red Sea on dry ground, God comes and crashes the waters back, destroying their enemies, destroying the Egyptian army. 
So God rescues his people, and do you know what their response was? They celebrated. Exodus 15, verse 19 onwards. For when the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them, but the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. Do you remember what the Ark of the Covenant was? The Ark of God was the physical, visible representation of the presence and power of God with his people. Wherever that box was, that was the presence and power of God with his people. And when David became king, the Philistines heard about it. And if you remember what David did to Goliath, you'll know the Philistines didn't like David. And so when David became king, the Philistines decided to attack. You see the story in 2 Samuel 6 or just before that. But, but long story short, David hears about the Philistines attacking and he inquires of the Lord. Side note, that's a good piece of wisdom. Before you do anything, inquire of God. Inquire of wise counsel around you as well. But he inquired of God and he then did what God said. That's another good thing. He inquired of God. He did what God said and his army had victory. Victory over the Philistines. He brings the Ark of the Covenant back or into Jerusalem. And do you know what their response was to what God did? They celebrated. 2 Samuel 6. From verse 5, and David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. Verse 18, and when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed among all the people the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, a cake of bread, a portion of meat, hopefully a big portion, and a cake of raisins to each one. Then all the people departed each to his house. They celebrated. Later on in the story of Israel, David's son Solomon led the building of the temple in Jerusalem. But if you know the story, you'll know that it was actually God God had promised the the temple building to, well, he had promised David that the temple would be built in Jerusalem. And it was Solomon who led the building of that temple. Very quickly, how did Solomon respond to God fulfilling his promise that that temple would be built in Jerusalem? The nation celebrated. They celebrated with a huge feast for an entire week. 122,000 sheep, 22,000 oxen. Sounds incredible. And they feasted and they celebrated and they sang and they danced. He has one portion that shows us this. 1 Kings 8. I'll just read two verses. Solomon held the feast at that time. The feast. Feasting is good. And all Israel with them, a great assembly from Lebohamath to the brook of Egypt before the Lord our God, seven days. And on the eighth day, he sent the people away and they blessed the king and went to their homes, joyful and glad of heart. That's what celebration does. 
They were joyful and glad of heart for all the goodness that the Lord had shown to David his servant and to Israel his people. All that to say, the Israelites made celebration a lifestyle. They feasted, they danced, they sang to celebrate God's goodness and his faithfulness in experiencing his presence and his provision and his protection and his peace and his power. And as Christians, we are called to train ourselves in the discipline of celebration so that our natural response, so that our natural tendency, so that our inclination would be to respond in celebration to what God does. If it's not a natural response, we need to discipline and train ourselves until it is. And so the question is, what is your natural response to what God does? What is your natural response to what God does? And if you're like me, then if you're not intentional, it's very, very easy to overlook or to neglect to even acknowledge all that God does in us and for us and with us. Point number two, celebrate to remember what God has done. So number one, we celebrate in response to what God does. But number two, we celebrate as a reminder of what God has done. And so going back to to the nation of Israel, when the Israelites were still slaves in Egypt, before Pharaoh had released them, God sent plagues. And he had sent nine different plagues. To kind of cause Pharaoh to to let his people go. And Pharaoh changed his mind and and he he refused to release the Israelites. And so the, 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 the tenth and final plague, the threat of that plague was that God would send the destroyer. That he had sent the destroyer and that it would be the destroyer that would be the final plague to kill every firstborn son and beast. Every firstborn of both humans and animals. And I'm just going to read a chunk of scripture. It'll be behind me, but I encourage you to just follow along as this teaches us a very, very important principle around celebration. Exodus chapter 12, from verse 12. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day. And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. As a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. And verse 17, and you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For on this very day, I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. Jump to the next chapter 13 from verse 3. Then Moses said to the people, remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Verse 7, unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen with you, and no leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory. No excuses to have any leaven. He makes it pretty clear. Verse 8, 
You shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And it shall be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this statute at its appointed time from year to year. All that to say, God commanded Israel to establish the Feast of Unleavened Bread to remember what he had done for them at Passover. Where the blood on the doorpost saved the firstborn sons of Israel and led them to being rescued from slavery. And this celebratory feast was to happen each year so that they would remember. That's the key thing. They would feast and celebrate each year to remember what God had done. And can I just put this on the side? Side note. Not only is it to help the people of Israel and in this context us remember what God has done, but it also reveals to future generations what God has done. So remembering and celebrating and feasting at what God has done helps us remember, but it also reveals to the generations to come all that God has done. You know, God, He continues to be faithful. And somehow us as humans continue to be forgetful. Another quick story and we'll continue. Generations later from from the story I've just told, the Jews were actually nearly annihilated by a military commander named Haman. Some of you might know Haman from the book of Esther and other places, but, but God preserved the Jews through Queen Esther and Mordecai. And from that, the nation established the festival of Purim Purim to mark the moment, mark the moment, and celebrate God's deliverance from their enemies. Esther 9, I'll just read it so you know it's biblical. And Mordecai recorded these things, chapter 9, verse 20 of Esther, and sent letters to all the Jews who were in the provinces of King Ahasuerus, both near and far, obliging them to keep the 14th day of the month Adar and also the 15th day of the same year by year as the days on which the Jews got relief from their enemies and as the month that had been turned for them from sorrow into gladness and from mourning into a holiday that they should make them days of feasting and gladness, days for sending gifts of food to one another and gifts to the poor. As Christians, we need to celebrate to remember what God has done previously. And as I said, God continues to be faithful and we seemingly continue to be forgetful. And we've said it from this platform many times, but the greatest challenge to Christian faithfulness is forgetfulness. But the antidote to forgetfulness is celebration. And when we celebrate, we remember all that God has done. And this is why as evangelicals, as Orthodox Christians, we have five feast days. This is why we celebrate Christmas, the birth of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. This is why we celebrate Good Friday, because it was where Jesus died. And why we celebrate Easter Sunday, because it's the day Jesus rose from the dead. The fourth feast day, Ascension Day. This is why we we ought to celebrate the day that Christ ascended to be at the right hand of God the Father, seated on the throne, King of kings, Lord of lords, and Pentecost. 
The day in which the Spirit of God poured out onto the believers. Why you and I can have the Spirit of God dwell within us and empower us and lead us and enable us to walk by the Spirit. These are five things that Christians throughout the centuries have celebrated each year. Why? Because it reminds us of all that God has done. And when we don't, we, ca- we cannot afford not to. Remember, we cannot afford to go through life ignorant of the fact that Christ came, that he was born so that we could be reborn. We cannot afford to go through life not knowing that Jesus seated at the throne. He's the king of kings. He's ascended at his ascension. The kingdom just culminated and he's the king. But if we don't celebrate, we'll forget. And so that's corporately what God's people celebrate as Christians, but there are plenty other reasons and things that we ought to celebrate. And so my question is, how will you mark these moments? Corporately, we need to mark these moments, but even as households, ask yourself, how will we mark these moments and celebrate what God has done for us? It's a discipline. Point number three, and this one's much quicker. Number three is celebrate to remedy our tendency for legalism. As humanity in general, we have a natural inclination, a tendency for legalism and empty religious ritual. I believe it. It's very easy for us to do things and go through the motions and tick the boxes and and do all these things without our heart and without our mind engaged. And it's empty, but we do it because we have this tendency to legalism, generally speaking. But celebration is the remedy that fights against our legalistic leanings. And so think back to that thing in your life that made you celebrate the most. Think back to it. Did it make you joyful? Nod your head if it made you joyful. I see a lot of heads nodding. Because at the heart of celebration is joy. We don't celebrate things without joy. There is joy at the heart of the things we celebrate. Because when we celebrate, we are rejoicing in the goodness and the greatness of God. This is what the theologian Richard Foster says. And I I give it to him because if I said it, you might come after me with stones or something. But this is what he says. Without joy, penetrating all the disciplines, they will quickly deteriorate into another set of soul-killing legalism. Celebration is central to all the spiritual disciplines because without a joyful spirit of celebration, the other spiritual disciplines become dull, lifeless tools in the hands of modern Pharisees. That was Richard Foster. (laughs) But it's true. And this is why celebration is key. Because we don't want all the other disciplines, prayer and fasting and confession and repentance and study and meditation of God's word. We don't want these things just to become dull, lifeless tools in the hands of modern day Pharisees. We don't want these things to become soul killing, legalistic things. 
These are life-giving things. These are godly biblical principles. And when done with the right heart attitude and when done with joy, knowing that I'm with Jesus and becoming like him, and it's these practices that, that form spir- that spiritual formation and growth take place. And when we have celebration and joy at, at the center of it, God uses it to make us more godly, to, to form his likeness in us more and more and more. And this is why we need to celebrate because we receive joy. And if you know what God's word says, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And it's the strength to keep going. It's the strength to fight against and to be the remedy to our tendency for legalism. And so as I close, of course, but I'll say it anyway, of course, when we celebrate, we do it in a manner, giving God glory and honor and praise and thanks. That's the celebration we're talking about when we dwell on his greatness as shown through his goodness. But you see, the, the, the problem for us, this is the problem, one of the problems. We think we need to have something huge and majorly significant in order to celebrate, or else we won't. But surely giving God glory and gratitude and surely um, obeying his word and surely receiving joy and strength to keep going and surely putting him at the center and honoring him and testifying of all he's done. Surely those are good enough reasons. And so to help you remember, to help me remember, whether big or small, celebrate them all. Whether big or small, celebrate them all. And so whether it's a child's salvation or a loved one going home to be with our Lord or a baptism or a birthday or an anniversary or a graduation or a new house or a new job or a promotion, a healing, an answered prayer, a milestone in life, whatever, and those are seemingly significant things, but whatever good gift our Father gives or anything that brings us joy, celebrate. And this is how we create the discipline. By doing it, actively celebrating. And celebrate with family and friends. Don't just celebrate by yourself in a room. Celebrate with family and friends. Celebrate with food and feasting. Have fun. Give thanks. Share testimonies. Celebrate with music and dancing and feasting and cheerful screams. And don't forget the dessert. (laughs) Celebrate. It's God's desire. Our legalistic leanings stop us from celebrating. Why do, if you're like me, why when we picture a godly person, we see this solemn, quiet man on his own? That's just tradition. That's not biblical. God says celebrate. We ought to celebrate. According to the Westminster Catechism, humanity's chief, chief end or man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And when we celebrate, we live out that purpose. This is what Dallas Willard says, just to close. It's a quote from from him. The spiritual discipline of celebration is the completion of worship. For it dwells on the greatness of God as shown in his goodness to us. We engage in celebration when we enjoy ourselves, our life, our world, in conjunction with our faith and confidence in God's greatness, beauty, and goodness. We come together with others who know God to eat and drink, 
to sing and dance and to relate stories of God's action for our lives and our people. In the words of Eugene Peterson, celebrate God all day, every day. I mean, revel in Him. Lively, noisy way, food and drink. Celebrate that we are God's, that He is our God. And so the last, the final word is this. Come back to that number you wrote at the start of the message. Think back to that number. If you never wrote it down, hopefully you can remember the number you kind of reflected on. When you come back to that number, does that number reflect God's desire for you to celebrate and enjoy Him and enjoy the work and the goodness shown in our lives? Does that number reflect that? Because if it doesn't, ask the Holy Spirit to help you make the necessary adjustments. Ask Him to enable you, not just for an attitude of celebration, but to put actual practices and intentional things in place for you to celebrate. And because when we do celebrate, when we have the discipline of celebration, as my dad said last week, there comes the discipline which creates the desire, which in turn leads to delight. And maybe you just need to put things in place to celebrate so that you become a person who celebrates. And so if you could stand to your feet with me, please, for those who are able, just as I close in prayer. And then I'll hand back to Brennan. Father God, as we stand before you, as we're in your presence, as we've drawn near to you, thank you that you draw near to us. And so we call out to you, Lord, and ask that by your Spirit, you would do something in us. That, Lord, hopefully by your Word, you've brought conviction and you've brought realignment to the truth of your Word and your heart and your desire for us to be a people who celebrate. And so, Lord, I ask in Jesus' name that you would enable every single household and individual represented here Lord, to celebrate in response to all that you do in the present moment. But Lord, also to celebrate, to remember all that you have done over the centuries, over the millennia. And Lord, last week, because we forget that. Help us, Lord. And Lord, help us. Help us to contend and fight against legalistic leanings. And and Lord, just help us not to be modern day Pharisees, Lord. Help us to celebrate. Help us to enjoy you. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.